plenty of people have shit to say about what happened before I was born. All we can agree on is that birth is not the beginning. This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love, and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened beings? Welcome to another episode of Awakened Love, candid conversations on love, eros, and awakening. And today I have with us Ben Decker. Ben is a world-renowned meditation teacher, an activist, and the best-selling author of Modern Spirituality, a guide to the heart of mindfulness, meditation, and the art of healing, as well as other books on meditation, including Practical Meditation for Beginners, 10 Days to a Happier, Karma You. He's also the host of the Modern Spirituality Show and has been featured in the likes of the New York Times, Rolling Stones, New York Post, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Men's Health, Thrive Magazine, and plenty more, and I am absolutely elated to have him here with us today. So please welcome Ben to the show. Thanks for being here, brother. I'm so happy to be doing this. Yes. This is amazing. Our prayer earlier, I always pray before we hit record, and our prayer broke the internet. So we're back. We made it, but that was some powerful shit. (laughs) Yeah, that was nice. That was really good. I was like, should we have recorded the prayer? Because yeah, that would have been nice. That's actually a nice idea. And I mean, I'd love for you to share a little around your background and how you got into being a meditation teacher and an author and um, yeah, what was the word? Theology? Philosophy? Theosophy. Theosophy. It's It's a combo. Yeah. It's a, it's a combination. Well, it comes, it's a, it's a Greek word theosophia but it has the same root words as theology and philosophy okay i thought you made that word up (laughs) you're like it's a a greek (laughs) word it's been around for a while honey awesome gave you a lot of credit there (laughs) so tell our listeners who is ben who's benjamin decker well, like you said, I'm a theosophist, and it's uh, it's actually a really old concept and old tradition. Um, but I think it's having a global moment. And I think a lot of people, when they learn about what theosophy is, they find that it's not its own thing so much as it's a description of what we naturally are, mm. you know, if that makes sense. And so it's it's a combination of theosophy looks at all world spiritual traditions as true within one larger context Mm. and and also reflects on them within context of each other Mm. meaning uh meaning we acknowledge that that humanity has its ways of expressing that sometimes it's really literal and clear. Sometimes it's metaphorical, artistic, creative. Sometimes it's it's true indefinitely. Sometimes it's true for within a context. And so we study all the world traditions as one school of thought, as if they're all true. Wow. So that's what a theosophist is. Damn, that sounds fascinating and also complex. It's like a, a real, there's a holding of so much complexity there yet i think that's what we need in this world i i I don't know if you would agree i'm curious on your perspective here but i feel like a lot of the problems we have as a species are a problem of complexity what do you say to that right i i think we make things complex and uh we have these stories and and things that have worked in the past for maybe other generations and um things that 
so we therefore are born into them. We're sometimes indoctrinated into thinking this is the only way. Um, and sometimes we just witness people play it out. And so we have like the conscious and unconscious conditioning, mm. you know, um, and I think that all the religions serve as um, a parallel to that problem where things get really complex, but but really when it comes down to it, they're very simple. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like it's like all of the laws of the universe that that Christianity and Buddhism speak of mm. have like deep commonality. Yes. There's like deep resonance. Yes. Um, and if you feel into that resonance, you might find something that's really true. And so therefore, the thing that's true that Christians and Buddhists agree on and Muslims and Zoroastrians and the indigenous communities, the things that they agree on yes. aren't complex. Yes. What are they? They're super simple. What are the things? They're super simple. That we agree well, on. Well, there's a few... There's a few, but ultimately that it's not good to harm. That's, it comes down to the simplest shit. So, so all of our problems are super complex, mm -hmm. but simple solutions, but, but the solutions are super simple because the, the specialization, we've all gotten so specialized in the one thing that we do, mm -hmm. you know, and that can be really, really good. Like a surgeon is like good at this thing. Great. I have that thing. Get me to that surgeon. Um, but it's also, but, and as each one of us choose our specialties and our areas that sort of choose us too as specializations, yes. we also all are generalists mm. and must be generalists. Mm. And the, the areas that we have to become generalists in from a theosophical interfaith perspective, global perspective is in like the super simple areas of like the respecting of personal boundaries. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's like harm, not causing harm is directly related to respecting someone. Mm. It's directly related to respecting someone's self-expression, someone's identity, someone's tradition, someone's religion, someone's way of seeing things mm. until within their little bubble, let them do whatever they need to do back up out of their bubble mm. but once that bubble starts to get into another person's bubble that's when we say boundary mm. you don't get to hurt other people mm. boundary mm. you know yes. so the theosophical perspective is that is that where it's like let people express it in the ways that they're going to express mm. um yes and hold space for that yeah and it gets complex i, f I feel when when we when we believe and it's interesting because I see this on a relational level between couples. Of course, that's the lens that I often look through, but I'm recognizing this moment. It's, it's relational as far as human beings. We can get stuck in this idea that if I get my need met, then you lose like this win-lose mentality that I really work with couples on of what if there, and this is the conscious communication 101, and what if there is a way to creatively and compassionately have everybody's needs met? And there's always an option C. Sometimes we're just lacking the creative capacity to to actually find that and we're so rigid in this power hierarchy of this power struggle of I need to be right and that will make you wrong or if you're right then I'm wrong that we can't actually open up our perspective and get a little less rigid so that we can try and have everyone's needs met and I think in that way maybe the word complex isn't right but creative like we're called upon to be really creative and I think we we are in a crisis of creativity as a human species right now I don't know if you would agree with that but 
Oh my God, you're like singing right to my soul right now. Uh, yeah, the everything that you said, first of all, I just want to, I, I agree with you. We're in a creative crisis. Uh, we're not willing to think for ourselves. We're not willing to directly feel into something. We're so quick to, to uh, click ourselves into the way other people tell us or other people present how they present, what they do. And we're algorithmically designed to do that. So we're, we're operating within the context of all these algorithms that are telling us how to behave rather than us creatively expressing in the ways that are coming naturally to us. That's where we've, all these metaphors of AI controlling the world, of all of the matrix, of iRobot, all these metaphors, they're in the social media algorithm. They're baked into the social media algorithm, which says, if you do these things in this way, we're going to reward that behavior, mm. which is going to train you to physically change the way you behave within your body. Your body's now going to do things differently and engage with the entire universe differently in order to, you know, please this algorithm or, mm. or have some kind of validation from, from these algorithmic systems. Mm. And you're right, like there's algorithmic systems, like that's kind of built into our physiology as social mammals. It's like the algorithm used to just be your, your, your community, right? Or your tribe. And the algorithm was like the shared value systems. And if, and that would kind of, you, you would be rewarded with acceptance and maybe even social status, power, influence, love, connection, safety, if you were to operate within that algorithm. But it now it's like who, who and what is controlling the algorithm that is shaping your behavior. Right. And what I want to say is we want to step away from algorithmic operating mm. and into spiritual personality operating Oof. it's algorithm versus personality so my spiritual personality is not the really the same as my ego personality mm. my ego personality is at best similar to my spiritual personality mm. but nine times out of ten my ego personality is like a total shit show disaster <laughs> doing its thing you know what i mean yes and like you're talking about in real human interaction the algorithm is the personality of our dynamic together. Yes. It's, and so the personality of the family, mm. the personality of the tribe, mm. council, coven, community, school, church, mm. whatever it is, mm. you know? And, uh, and so, so I'm seeing like this need, this, like you said, a crisis of creativity. And what is creativity? Intimacy. Oof. Let's talk about that. Say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, creativity, of course, we know creativity and, and sexuality all are from the same chakra, mm -hmm. uh, the sacral chakra. Um, and, uh, and so that helps us look at this. But when we think about what it means to be genuinely intimate in a sexual way with another being, with another person, mm -hmm. and really being in that space. It's one thing to be sexual and be unconsciously playing out your past sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to be getting to know from your vulnerability, the getting the subtle communications and getting to know the, the intimate vulnerability of your partner, Oof. you know? That's very, very different than playing out things on top of each other and projecting onto each other. 
and orgasming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> very different. You know, it can be a lot of uh, fun, but not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, not quite the same thing as intimacy. It's yes. like genuine intimacy, yes. right? Mindful, conscious presence um, in the vulnerable state. And, um, and that's true with genuine creativity. Mm. Genuine creativity is like this exposure. I, I always hated when an art teacher got in in my space. Mm. I was like, literally, I, when we were in Bali, we went to this art class. We were so excited. This art teacher was, we were going to leave with this beautiful painting that we all did ourselves. We all did different paintings. She was going to help us conceptualize and work with the different paints and blah, blah, blah. And on day one, that bitch picked up a pencil and started drawing on my canvas. Oh, no. <laughs> you better believe there wasn't a day two for me. You know, I didn't go back to that class. Yes. You know why? Because because that's what, and, and a lot of people can relate to that where it's like, no, I'm actually doing Doing this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i don't need it to look like how you need it to look i need to do it yes 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 oh this is like touching it needs on so to many be things. me yes well because it's interesting we're talking about creativity we're talking about intimacy you were talking about boundaries right which comes up a lot through this theme as well and i think that yeah, what I recognize as you as you shared and distinguished between the algorithms versus the personality of your connection with someone. I'm like, oh, that's what's missing in those algorithms is the connection point. I'm filtering this through a connection, which I think is what you're pointing to as like the distinction between that spiritual personality versus this algorithm. And with boundaries, I've been doing, I've been reading or listening to, I should say, a book called Polysecure that's very interesting. It's all about attachment theory through the lens of polyamory. Um, and the author is talking a lot about boundaries. Um, and I'm hearing you talk a lot about boundaries. And, I, and I'll share a little bit in a moment, perhaps if it feels true, of what she shares. But it's, I want to hear from you. Okay, how do we set effective boundaries whilst also maintaining that connection to the personality of the dynamic between you and someone else, family, community? Because I think maybe that's an issue of consciousness that we are struggling with that's impacting our ability to evolve as a species as well, right? Like it's so like where do I end and you begin and, and what I need and what you need. We're kind of talking about that creative tension in relationship between different needs and desires. What, what, how do you navigate that? Well, that's a huge challenge, you know, uh, from a unity consciousness perspective, we're all one. And so there's theoretically this higher good that we can click into and things will unfold and evolve just right. Um, but when we look at the way that this world really feels and is, it's like so sticky and so messy and it's so <laughs> easy to fuck up. Oh my God. It's like so easy. Oh my God. And the stakes seem so high and, and like, and like though some of us are just like dying, you know, someone could just die at any point, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's like, what the fuck? And when someone, when something abruptly changes like that, we don't always know how to how to really like even deal with it, you know, and and so there's like a, all these aspects that we have to first start by acknowledging are true about reality. Yes, you know, it's like okay, plenty of people have shit to say about what happened before I was born. Mm. All we can agree on is that birth is not the beginning. Oof. Right. Okay. Ooh, even if those are not. Yes, birth is not the beginning. Even if someone doesn't have a spiritual perspective, there's a history there. So interesting. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No matter what, 
Birth is not the beginning. Death is not the end. Mm. All this shit was going on before I ever came here. And all this shit will keep going on long after I'm like fully dead and gone. Oh, goosebumps. You know? and, and so it's like when you, when you find the big truth like that, the big truth that everyone can agree on, it's like, it's like this little esoteric secret. Mm. It's like, it's like, want me to tell you the big secret? The big secret is all the religions work. Mm. Most people are doing them wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Which there's a deeper the, truth to that, right? Like, what is the truth that points to that all the religions work? Most people are just doing them wrong. Like, there's something to that. There's a truth underneath that. What do you, yeah, what is, right. what does that point to? Well, I think it points to the fact that all religion and spiritual philosophy really comes from the heart of an individual deeply trying to understand. Mm. And so what we're, what we're really thinking about, what we're really searching, what we're really practicing when we're in these religious or spiritual ceremonies or contexts or trainings, what we're really doing is listening to a friend try to help us go somewhere they've gone. Mm. And the friend isn't the priest or the rabbi or the pastor or the imam or the priestess or the shaman. The friend that's helping us is that original founder, that original consciousness that those, it, it comes in forms of sacred texts like scriptures and sutras, songs, and it's an energy that's transferred through poetry, mm. through art, uh, through archetypal messaging, through mythology. And what we're what we're really dancing with is that essential life in the being who really experienced it mm. and is really explaining it. Mm. So it's when you're Christian, it's about Jesus. It's about mm. it's not about the person Jesus. It's about the life essence, the divine as expressed through Jesus. When you're Buddhist, it's the life essence as expressed through the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and the Dakas mm. and the Dakinis, mm. you know? Wow, that's touching on something so deeply for me. My gosh, I'm so grateful to you. Um, yeah, I'm realizing it's like this just base desire to know and to grow. Like it's like the evolutionary impulse of human beings to know and to grow and to be these sincere seekers and i think there's a sincerity in the seeking of the yeah, like as you as you say the original founder who, whose intention was to know and to grow and i think to know and to grow is even like pointing to our our need and desire for intimacy and connection um and there's something so fundamental about that that it makes it makes sense for me that in essence all religions can work if we all if we're using whatever system of intelligence to help us stay in a state of curiosity and connection and striving towards betterment and evolution and actualization like how could that be wrong how can you get that wrong <laughs> you know if you're actually in alignment with that right. core essence um wow damn we're going deep so we're kind of touching on it now but i would love to hear your perspective on religious deconstruction and healing from religious trauma um, we're kind of speaking to the value of the essence, but I'm curious on the other side of things to hear your point of view. Well, the thing that comes up when you say that is really childhood religious traumatic experiences. And um, they're very common, especially, you know, especially 
in today's world where um where we're right on that bridge where the previous generation held so much power in the religious institution and this generation is so outspoken and so willing to change how things are and so willing to experiment and that that high contrast has come together in our lifetimes and so we can see really loudly it it may not be happening more than it ever has but it's definitely being outed more than it ever has where there's like sexual mm. abuse other kinds of abuse and trauma that happens within a religious context and we we now have like this great when when it comes to the individual process here's what I'll say if you are experiencing any kind of trigger around a specific religion especially if it's a religion that you were raised with any relationship to that relationship could be a, a relationship where you were raised in that religion and that relationship could be where you were raised in a different religion and that other religion was considered the bad one right you know there's a lot of different kinds of relationships we can have to religions if you have energy on that if you have resistance to a particular one or another one you need to then really go into the stories that that exist within you around it what part of your body relates to that where did that really come from because it's similar to racism it's uh it's a trauma racism is a psychological trauma for someone who even someone who is actually is racist that's a that's like a almost like a mental illness mm. uh, it's 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 a trauma response in the psyche and um and it needs to be treated like a trauma because you can't you can't make someone who's racist not racist by being like dude you're such a complete idiot you don't get it mm. that's not going to work that person something it's a trauma response in there you know and so there are trauma responses including racism and including suicidal ideation depression anxiety there are uh, people pleasing um allowing oneself to be abused all kinds of trauma responses that that can and are often paired with the religious environment mm. and so that that's the biggest hardest thing is we think god did it to us our earliest conditioning unfortunately not everyone thinks this but a lot of times the the young inner child can think can equate god with this like really angry negative abusive violent force yes the and so the the first the punisher exactly the it's like i saw a meme that said it was jesus standing outside a door and the door is a this is the famous painting that i've seen when i was a kid jesus standing outside a door we've seen it a million times we've heard stories told about this painting the reason there's no handle on the outside of the door where jesus is is because he's just knocking on the door you have to let him in mm. and i was like first of all have you guys heard of how vampires have to be invited in that's not a good <laughs> like story and, and i'm like and how much you guys talk about drinking his blood like uh, uh, anyway uh, but that's i digress i digress so there's the so there's this painting you have to let him into your heart there's no door on the outside you know and i saw this meme that said it's jesus speaking he says 
Let me in, accept me as your Lord and Savior, and, and I'll save you. And, and then he, the person on the inside says, save me from what? And he says, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. <laughs> Oof, yeah, that's a mind fuck. It, it's, the whole, it's the whole hell story. Mm. You know, it's the, it's the story of you're going to go to this bad place if you don't follow these rules. Mm. Oh, my God, right? And also this um, fear, if they've done a lot of the quote-unquote manifestation work and there's now fear of any negative thought or negative feeling and it, it can create i mean that's a way to that what a hell realm that is like not allowed to ever have a bad thought or something bad is going to happen um yeah there's so many ways we can create hell on earth for ourselves that's for sure what is the religious deconstruction process like um have you been through it what 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 is talk me through what that even is well the religious deconstruction process usually begins with a crisis of faith where uh, you, for whatever reason, whatever you're going through in your life, you feel like you're bumping up against something that you just can't keep allowing in your in your worldview when it comes to your spirituality, when it comes to the religion that you were raised in or the religious perspective that you're in. Right. Um, for some people, it's simple things like uh, they they feel like there's more to reincarnation or astrology or you know spirituality then their religion allows them to really explore mm. for some people it's for many people it's related to sexuality um and uh and and also a lot of people it's related to witnessing experiencing people abusing power abusing energy um and things like that within the religious context mm. And, uh, and so it starts with a point of crisis where you realize, I actually am not into this religious system. And, and for a lot of people, they go completely non-religious. They're like, okay, all that's clearly made up. This is clearly not real. Those people are crazy. Yeah. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, but then when you actually go in through the deconstruction process, it's like, well, what are the beautiful things that I inherited from being in that situation? What are the things that are true that I can call upon? And it's kind of like going deep into your own memory and, and finding the gems where you can say, okay, I'm like shifting the emphasis from this part of that memory yeah. to this part of that memory. Mm, yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, so and then, powerful. and then, and then the reconstruction process is really like creating what what spirituality looks for you looks like for you today. And in, in my book, I, I talk about the three things that you need are uh, an informal personal practice, mm -hmm. which means those are things that you live by, mm -hmm. principles you really live by, um, like honesty, mindfulness, compassion, um, principles of like atonement, where you're where you're, where you own, own up for the mistakes that you make. Yeah. Um, so that's a personal informal practice, a personal formal practice where you do some form of actual meditation, some form of actual prayer, yeah. some form of actual practice, and then some kind of group or community experience, whether that's like a church or a, a private group, a, 
a tribe that you participate with, some kind of community. Could it be like and so that's, sporting that's like the, or music? Like, can it be kind of any any gathering place over a shared value system, even if it's not necessarily spiritual? Or would you suggest like exactly? Okay. Yeah, exactly. If if you're drawn to spirituality, then there are there are places where that part of your personality can express and and that's what you need in that meditation group or church or or temple or practice or tribe that you that you go to for me i go to uh costa rica twice a year and i do plant medicine with the same tribe in the same lineage twice a year and i bring people and i introduce them to the experience i coach them before and after the experience that's part of what i do i also have little private groups um, that are based around certain things like Akashic Records, Shamanic Reiki, meditation. The people who are in the meditation group, some of them wouldn't want anything to do with the Akashic Records group, (laughs) you know, and and some people in the Akashic Records group really should be meditating and going to the meditation group, but like it bores the hell out of them, Mm. you know, so, so for me because spirituality is like something i geek out on because these are topics i've like i have been really immersed in for like years for my whole life um and there's so much enthusiasm for me around it and there's been so much studying it's like i can't help but have it be um spiritual in that way but for so many people they find more in uh like my dad is religious and and is a priest and does participate in the priesthood and he is like active in his church. Uh, but he's he gets so much out of riding motorcycles with his freaking motorcycle gang. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, we're social creatures. We're social mammals. I think what you're speaking to is so important. I do have a lot of people that message me on Instagram or places, you know, getting in contact saying, hey, like, how do I build community? Because they look and see, I mean, the community that we share is much of it overlaps is this incredible group of human beings that have shared values. And and because of those shared values are able to be, um, have a connection and a a respect, I think for one another that perhaps other people feel they're lacking. What would you say to people who are listening and saying, Oh my God, like I want that community. I'm start. I'm hungry for that. You know, the best way to make a friend is to be a friend, Mm. you know, and, um, you know, it's like if you're if you're seeing something that looks like you might want to be a part of it, what's so special? I think one of the ways we can we can use social media as a tool for our benefit is is that there are people who are interested in the same things that you're interested Mm -hmm. in that we exist sometimes it costs some money to participate in a course or a training or a private group and i think those are worth money because because it's a lot of work to put those things together it's a lot of work to hold the focus for them uh, that's why we pay for personal trainers that's why you know we pay for you know so many people uh, who aren't even wealthy all over the world have housekeepers mm. you know why because is it that I literally can't do my own laundry? It's no, it's it's just more focused. When when we have a housekeeper come over, we're cleaning. Mm-hmm. We are like cleaning alongside that housekeeper mm-hmm. because what we're really doing is having the accountability 
to to maintain our space. Mm-hmm. That's what a great nutritionist does. That's what a great dietitian does. That's what a great doctor does. That's what a great healer does. And that's what a great space holder for any types of these kinds of communities do. So so if someone's really looking for that kind of community and especially they especially, you know, they're listening to this, it's like well, look at what's available. Mm-hmm. Like really, sometimes we're so used to seeing courses and programs and events and retreats that it's like hard to really like sink our teeth into one of them. That's one of the benefits uh, of having a religion you're a member of. It's like, eh, I'll go to kind of whatever yes. our church is doing. <laughs> you know, that's one of the one of the benefits. Um, but in today's world where the path is so much more individualized, we do have to take we have to claim what our path is mm. and um and we have to claim what our unique relationship to that path is every or every community is internally diverse so let's say you know you and i put on a uh we put in a course together and we have an ongoing community that we check back in with that course once a month let's say and and it's just you and i and it's you and i every time those people are coming to experience that specific kind of space we're choosing to hold, Mm -hmm. but that's once a month, you know? So there you're then going to have all the other hours of that day, all the other days in that week, all the other weeks in that month where you're out in the world engaging. And so the, so come into social media groups, come into these digital groups that are going to feed that hyper-specific part of you where you're like, right now, I literally am like rewilding my sexuality. Great. Find a rewilding your sexuality group, you know, (laughs) and explore it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or you're really into meditation or you're really into Reiki or you're really into, you're attracted to something. Experiment. Don't, you know, don't hold back. And I think that um, for some people, it really is about group fitness, Mm. you know, you know, finding finding a charity that has a 10K coming up, joining a team to prepare for that 10K, do their little their little training exercises that they do together, join their group chats, get to know some of the people, some of the other people there, care about their names, care about their families, see if you can find a friend. The best way to make a friend is to be one. Mm, Yeah, so true. It's just, there's so much available. I think it's like paralysis of over-analysis and it's like, yeah, just get clear on trying it out, as you're saying, if that's what you're focused on. There's so many groups, there's so many different (laughs) communities, there's everything on the internet. There is definitely, as you say, plenty of people interested in what you're interested in yeah kind of a weird segue maybe not but you touched on as you were talking about deconstructing um religion and reconstructing how there can be like abuses of power in these spaces and I remember a teacher said to me once and it resonated so much she said just because someone has immense energetic power does not mean they have a level of consciousness that allows them to wield that power with uh, alignment and grace and the benefit and well-being of all beings in the center of that. And just because someone has that level of consciousness doesn't mean that they wield an energetic power. Um, I think I, I have seen and experienced that, which baffles me a little because I'm I'm curious, like how does how does one get to embody a level of spiritual power without a level of matching consciousness? I have a few inklings and ideas, but I'm curious what what do you think about that? Well, charismatic power is not the same thing as spiritual power. Mm. 
So we've got to learn that just because that turned me on and was and sounded fucking good mm. doesn't mean it was even true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's something that like back in the day they they call them soothsayers. Mm. Some people say a soothsayer. Some people will have like a religious definition of a soothsayer, and they'll say any kind of like spiritual person who's trying to make any kind of money off of anything is a soothsayer. Mm. But really a soothsayer is is literally what it sounds like soothe soothing words, mm. soothsaying. It's literally like it's a seduction energy. Mm. And um and we we know that sexuality and attractiveness can be you it's raw mm -hmm. right it can be used in a lot of directions mm -hmm. and so it and it is and can be used for healing connection growth expansion evolution creativity and it can also be used for manipulation Oof, yes and so that's why i always you know you find a lot in in the context of people who are deconstructing from religion sometimes if there's anger or control issues at play, mm -hmm. you find them very attracted to the spiritual, the aspects of different spiritual traditions where there's like a lot of like magic mm -hmm. and like control and like this is the outcome and it's going to be this exact outcome, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it's like you can see if you have lost your power, if something has taken your power away, you're going to be very attracted to the reminders of your power. Mm -hmm. And that can be exploited. Mm. The fact that you're attracted to the reminder of your power can be like used against you. Mm. Um, and people aren't even necessarily doing it consciously. No. So the soothsayers, I'm not saying they're like they're like these these vicious Disney villains who are like on purpose doing bad things. It's more like a level of consciousness that's coming from a need to protect one's own survival mm -hmm. and and it's sometimes it's literally dangerous yes. just like we were saying race racism is a trauma response it's literally dangerous yes. some trauma responses literally are dangerous and must be addressed yes. because it's not safe yes. you know? i think that's the core of it right there right is like the willingness to address i was literally voice noting with a client this morning about this exact thing, like, what are we focusing on? She's a coach. A lot of the people I work with are coaches. And so much of what I teach around this for them is like, it's not like you'd have to be perfect and have no strategy internally or no trauma internally in order to do no harm. You just have to be tracking it. You have to be aware that there are these parts of you that want to step into manipulation or scarcity or survival or inner pressure and what your go-to is. And you have to be engaged in enough of your own healing work consistently to be able to track that in yourself and have the kind of, I mean, the courage to own that in yourself and still step forward as a teacher or a guide. Because that takes, I think, a lot of vulnerability um, and, and the best guides that I know and witness or have learned from have have that, yeah, that humility and that that willingness to, to look at. And I think it's an important conversation as well for people to recognize exactly what you said. Just because it felt good doesn't mean it's true. Just because it turns me on 
you know, what is it turning on in me? Is it turning right. on? And I mean, that's such an interesting thing when we, when we come to attraction with partners, right? Very often, if you're like an 11 out of 10 tr- attracted to someone, you're like, ding, 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 there's a trauma bond here. <laughs> so what's it turning <laughs> on in you? Maybe your trauma, maybe your wounding. As you're saying, it's matching perhaps if you have lost control and, and you desire to, to experience your own power. It's like, yeah, it's okay that it's turning you on, but where's the awareness of what is it turning on in you? Um, mm. right. Yeah, I'm glad I asked you that question. I, I had a feeling you'd have the goods there. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about reincarnation. You have a pretty interesting perspective on like the importance of that and its relationship to intimacy. And I would just love to hear you speak to that and for our listeners to get an opportunity to hear that too. The thing that I think is so important about the esoteric occult teaching of reincarnation that I talked about in my book, Modern Spirituality, is that the the teaching of reincarnation was never originally taught as literal doctrine. Mm. And it's through the interpretations over the generations that we started to think I literally, um, as an individuated separate self, was this other thing. And before that, I was that. And before that, I was that. It's a metaphor to help us embody and meditate on what it's like to be other people. So you so thinking about what it's like to be a totally different person in a totally different time in totally different circumstances helps attune us to the suffering of other people. Yes. So reincarnation, birth before birth, you were another incarnation. After death, you will incarnate again. Um, and this lifetime is very, very important. Mm. In the belief systems outside of reincarnation, before birth, you were in the heavenly realms. You were born into this world. You will die and go into a heaven or a hell realm mm-hmm. uh, accordingly. And this lifetime is very, very important. So the most important universal teaching is that this lifetime right now is the most important time. Yes. And the you'll find that the traditions that don't believe in reincarnation believe that we are all family. So you'll mm-hmm. hear in the Judeo-Christian Islamic traditions, this idea that you're my sister, I'm your brother, we're the children of God, that kind of thing. And so that notion has a parallel teaching that helps us become intimate with, with one another as family members. Mm-hmm. So reincarnation is a tool for us to see intimacy as oneself, to step directly into your shoes. And the, the idea of being family within the, within the family of God is uh, for us to have have family level of love and connection to one another. So the reincarnation teaching is very significant. If that resonates for you, it's very good so that you realize that birth is not the beginning, death is not the end. This life is very important and everyone is equally as important and valuable as you are. Mm. And it's it's also wonderful to not believe in reincarnation and to and to understand that birth was not the beginning for your journey. Death will not be the end for your journey. This life is very, very important. And I'm family, babe. We're your family. We're you're not you're not alone, not alone. in this. Oh my God. Ben, damn. Where can people find more of you and your work? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Benjamin W. Decker, website benjaminwdecker.com. And um yeah, all the all the stuff's there. Yes, and you also have your own podcast. Which yes, the Modern Spirituality you. Show. Yes, which you're yeah. on soon. Yeah, yeah, can't, can't wait. wait. Oh my gosh, thank you so so much, brother, for all of your wisdom and presence and playfulness. It's truly been such a pleasure, and I'm excited for our listeners to connect with you and your work more deeply. Me too. Love doing this, and can't wait to have the roles switch when you come on my show. Ooh, baby. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick 
Thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.